escape from this desert I see Lord, I think that the devil might be after me All right, everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of the Doghouse. Come in, Jimmy Rogers, my main man. What's going on, Adam? Not much, bud. Just a mildew in the key from molding. Absolutely. Hanging out here in Oxford. Oxford, Mississippi, the rebel country. Absolutely. The fighting Kiffins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, we um, yesterday we finished our master test That's over right. at Tyler's. 100 Dog Master run yep. Tuesday, Wednesday, and half a day on Thursday. Yep. And then we did uh, junior and senior this morning. That's right. We both got an apprenticeship done. Yeah. We, done. I, I apprenticed junior today. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You better watch out, man. Y'all better start <laughs> pinning them junior marks. <laughs> I'm going to get you. Man, you had a pile of them. How many dogs y'all judge? I think we had two. Two. <laughs> yeah. It took us like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was there. <laughs> yeah. I had seven, seven senior dogs. Took us almost 30 minutes to get them done. Yeah. How many did you pass? I'd rather not say. No, it wasn't me. We done all we could, man. The two of them got through it. It, it was tough. They just had a hard time with them marks. They gotten them over there. Four senior dogs. Oh, man, that's funny. So hard. Such a big transition from juniors into seniors. I mean, it's like major difference compared to what they've been doing. And it's just hard for some dogs. Just no. Take a lot more time to get ready than probably what the, some of these people give them. In all truthfulness, it, it was very fair. Oh, it was, yeah, they, nobody complained. It wasn't nothing we could do for them. No, I mean. When they was, break, it just. They break or just, I mean, you just got to run better. Some blinds have got to be okay, you know. They can't be, they got to be great, but they got to be okay. But anyway, uh, who brings the doghouse, Jim? Let's knock that out real quick. We'll start off with Sullivan Motors, Collins, Mississippi. BS does deliver. For all yeah. your GMC, Chevrolet, see the boys down at Collins, Mississippi there at Sullivan Motors. Yeah, guys, just don't ride around. Ride around in class in, right. in the GM. What about Adam? Who else we got? Uh, Duck Dog Clothing. I see you got your um, the doghouse shirt on today, and I think I it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, Miss Melissa over there. Go to the doghouse. Doc, I mean, uh, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> Duck Dog Clothing. DuckDogClothing.com. <laughs> the doghouse tab. Go get your shirt. Yep. Cozy and whatnot, and then wet mutt mats um, is also one of our sponsors. We appreciate them. Kong bumpers yep. over at that place. People have asked, what I get messages, what kind of bumpers y'all talking about? Y'all, we can't understand you. It's Kong, K O N G. Yeah, the way we talk, it's too much. But they're they're fantastic. If you're not using them, check them out. One guy said, it, You saying cone or foam or what? It was like three different words. I was like, All oh, those are wrong. It's Kong. <laughs> so there y'all go. Yep. But uh, tell everybody where we're at today, what we're, what we're doing, what we got planned here today. We're in Oxford, Mississippi, sitting down with a couple of our buddies and veterinarians here at the Oxford An- Animal Clinic of Animal, Oxford. Animal Clin- Clin- Clinic of Oxford. And we both, we, didn't, we ain't had enough rest this week. No, <laughs> man, we've been going, shoot, I started on Barry's Friday. Yeah. yeah, I've run a weekend, a midweek, and now another weekend. But That's right, we got uh, Dr. Lee Payne and Dr. Matt Ryan of Oxford Animal Clinic with us. Guys, thanks for joining us. Yep. Good to be here. <laughs> yes, uh, good to see y'all. Both guys have had gun dogs and bred gun dogs and field trial and hunt tested and been into it for several years. So, yep, yeah, yep. and so, took care of a lot of field trial dogs, hunt test dogs, and duck dogs too. You know, I, I can remember being in vet school. The first FC that I saw, I was like I thought it was the coolest thing ever <laughs> just to work on. One. Yeah. I know you're afraid we, to we touch got, it. We got I a bet. bunch of them now. Yeah. That was my route right there. I was more scared to touch it. Yeah, you want me to touch that? <laughs> You know what somebody's gone through to get that done? Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And if a dog named Slick Nick up in Memphis, I don't know, he threw chocolates way back in the day. But yeah. Oh, I yeah bet that, you, that was the fact. I can remember it. I bet you they bred the pecker off that joker. I've seen him through chocolates. Goodness gracious. Kippy knows about that. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. We was with Kip yesterday uh, over at Tyler's. He come by and sat down with us for a minute. Good times. But um, we were going to talk about just general – Talk about taking care of dogs and bringing them up, and, and we got a, like a few things. You guys, we just want to be educated. We want to learn. We want everybody else to learn and get y'all's opinion and and thoughts onto it. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you pretty well know picking a good dog starts way before when you get the puppy. I mean, it's talking to the trainers and doing the research yourself and and figuring out pedigrees of what you want. Do you need a 
high-powered FC dog. You need mm -hmm. a plain gun dog, British dog, figuring all that stuff out. And, and so there's a lot of groundwork to be done with that. Matt and I know the game and can sure help with that, but all the trainers and there's just a lot of research that goes into it before they get into the first exam room with us when we're kind of checking on them. But mm -hmm. typically the breeder's going to be in charge of the first set of vaccines and that type of stuff. But I think it's really important as soon as you get the dog – to get it to us to let because if it's a whole lot easier to take a puppy back that we find a heart murmur on when you've had him for 12 hours or 24 hours after he's been at home for two or three days mom and the kids aren't letting you take him back so it's too know, late at that point yeah, it so. typically is i mean even though we're going you know this thing's got to go yeah um, there may be another one coming in to be the competition dog but after mama loves on him for a few days that's it he, he probably got a spot Dude, oh, yeah do you find that sometimes those heart murmurs and stuff will go away? Yeah, a, a good majority of them will clear up on their own. Um, and if not, as needed, we get them shipped out somewhere to get looked at closer, bring people in to look at them. Um, right. and just, but most of them will clear up on their own. Cool. cool. Yeah, we, Sorry, I just, they just hit no, me. with Yeah, I mean, like, so for the breeders, you know, you bring one in. I had a puppy this morning that I listened to. I had about a grade three heart murmur. So one's the least and six the worst. This was just kind of a middle of dead road. in the middle of the road thing. And I won't be shocked at all if we check it in two weeks and it's down to a grade one or totally disappeared. And in that case, it, it's probably just a puppy thing that's going to be a fleeting deal and no big deal. Mm -hmm. But you listen to it in two weeks and still got it. And let's do another two weeks and still got it. That one either needs to go back to the breeder. Or if you're the breeder, you're trying to find a good home for it because it's yeah. yep. well, the probably. Cool. Would that dude be a ticking time bomb, I guess? Uh, it kind of depends on the issue. Right. Um, I mean, if it's heart-related or vascular-related, is going to be the big differentiation on if it's a ticking time bomb or not. Gotcha. But I've had them where the you know guy gave it away and literally found a nice home. You know, gave it to the family with the young kid, and the sucker died two days later. To which he was like, "I'm never giving another one ever again. This is the worst thing. <laughs> it was yeah. terrible for everybody. It was terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. But then we've also had them where they you know you place it in home and it lives to be." 13, 14 years old and right. dies of whatever mm -hmm. it's supposed to. So you, without having a cardiologist look at it and do an echo and all the kind of stuff, you can't say right off the jump on there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the nice thing is that you guys can, are looking for that stuff because you understand somebody buying a dog and putting it with Adam or I, what they're fixing to spend and mm -hmm. what their expectations are. Yeah. You know, we've we done a podcast here recently about, you know, when to – let go of a dog that's not making it in the field, but you also same thing with one that has a health issue. Mm -hmm. The sooner you can pick up on that, before it could make a great dog doing something other than what we do, yep. and not putting it through it for all that. Absolutely, and so, this is totally out of line on our thing, but I think the way it's supposed to go is totally break the whole script here. So, right. a really important thing to me is you've got dogs that are between nine and twelve months old before they come to you guys and start paying big money. Get some stinking OFA prelims done on the dog. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen a bunch of big old ugly grown men like y'all literally shed a tear in the room when you pop up a set of bad hips. And they're in 5, 10, 20 grand by the time the dog's two, two and a half years old. Whereas if we had shot a set of prelims, like, eh, probably not. It still hurts your feelings, but not nearly as bad as when it's a master hunter at two and he's got a bad set of hips. That's a that hurts you. Well, um, one of the last times I was here, I had a dog named Jones that had passed his first grand master hunter, had made the fifth series of the national. Yellow. White. White, yeah. <laughs> Red, very nice. And and I should have done it. I knew I should have. I just kept putting it off, putting it off. And then people want to start breeding to him. I had seven or eight readings lined up to him. I'm, mm -hmm. I was coming through here. I was like, come by and let Dr. Yeah, and check it's, him. It's so terrible. Like, nobody's got time to, like, take the dog out of training to – drive to Oxford or wherever you're going to to get that done. But when you get bit like you did that oh, time, yeah. you're like, yeah, I'm, never you know, again. Then all of a sudden it yep. turns into a big deal where it kind of turns into part of the protocol. But At what age would you recommend doing that, like to do a prelim? Because I have clients asking a lot about it, and I recommend it because of my situation. Yeah. So at what point, 10 months, 15 months? Nine would be the youngest that I'd say to do it at. Okay. Um, we'll see puppies with just – trash hips at five six months old okay when you're looking for whatever reason you just pop them up there but the uh nine months about the youngest between nine and 12 is the the sweet spot before you, you really get into the, the deep money yeah how yeah. important is it that like when i get my hips done i come here 
I come from Tuscaloosa to here because I believe in you guys and I think y'all are the best. It's not, I don't How tell is, I don't yeah. I don't tell anybody that you like you got to come to Doctor Payne or you got to come to Doctor Ryan because right. we're duck hunting guys. You want to find somebody that does it and does a lot of it right. um, mm-hmm. because the difference. I've got clients that drive from all over the southeast to here, and it's a whole lot easier when we do the first set of hips when you take them just to the local vet that I'm sure is way smarter than me, maybe not as smart as Matt, but <laughs> smarter than me. Um, but they don't care and they don't appreciate how much money you've got in it, how much time's in it. I've had high-end dogs and I've bred them and I know how super important one stinking picture is. And so mm-hmm. if i got to take 10 pictures to get the right set of hips, I'm going to keep tweaking and torquing and fighting and sweating and cussing with them a little bit. Yep. Whereas just John Q. Vet, they're going to knock them out, beat one picture and send it off. And so and if they come back bad, then we've got a lot more work to do trying to fight the battle, get OFA to up our score a little bit. So. Right. And see, I've experienced that with you also. You told me they'd move it up one grade. Mm-hmm. You, I didn't say anything. A dog had been uh, determined dysplastic. Yeah. I'm like, ah, something don't feel right. Brought him down here. Didn't tell Doc. He shot him. said, oh, those would be good. I said, nope, they done been scored. The space said they moved them to fair. Sent them in. They went to fair. Well, then I've – I've only been here for two years, and I've yep. had a small handful that, you know, that just for whatever reason, just bad alignment on your, your radiograph. Yep. Come in, recheck them here, and they, they bump them up. So there's no telling how many Oh yeah, he's seen. <clears throat> I had a, a dog that – he's a British dog that's already got a master title on him. So, I mean, he, he's nice, you know. There ain't a whole lot of them. Yeah, I mean, to be able to play the American games that well, that's a yeah. pretty sharp dog. Absolutely. And he got films taken – somewhere that way down south and um, they came back this plastic well he brought them to me and they were perfect I mean they were truly excellent hips in my opinion they were just great so we sent them in and they came back fair but that's not good enough for a stud dog and they were so good so we sent them in again came back fair I was like I can play this game keep on coming back buddy so (laughs) round the third ones we sent in we finally got a good on him yeah and I think the dog truly deserved an excellent but the difference in good and excellent splitting hair, so who That's cares? Right. I mean, so why is it that hard? I mean, can, are they can they not just say, look, this was obviously not a good, you know, photograph the first time. He's done sent in three that that oh, look yeah, uh, excellent, the, right? In in the third one that that we sent of like jam up good hips, they mm. finally just said uncle. And, but yeah, I told this kid like, well, I will play this game, <laughs> till, yeah, till they fold because, because the the Radiograph goes to a panel. Yep. And there's a few people look at those in grade each, each set, right? Yep. yep. So according to who's there, I guess, or is it the same panel all the time, or we don't know that? It's a it's a random set of three that get it. So okay. they, university OFA is the University of Missouri, and then they just randomly kick them out to three different radiologists across the country, and so it's the average of the three. So if mm. two call it excellent, one calls it good, it's excellent. I see. Yeah. You know, that, yep. that deal. Pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. And that's something that's something everybody with a young dog needs to think about. If you haven't got that done, get some prelims done. Yep. And get them done by a vet who who does hips on yep. sporting dogs. That's, or why, on that's why I dogs. come here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me I mean, too. I'm three hours over here from the several house. times down here. Yeah. And, and it's prelims are important, but if you're not sending the prelim into OFA, you're just getting a set of hips done. I mean, yeah, come see us, but whatever. Like, just get some x-rays done. But if you look at them and like, oh, I don't know, well, then you – Get them to. I mean, everybody's got our number. Seems like it's like yeah, <laughs> random text messages. What do you think about these hips? Like, who is this? Who is Adam? But Campbell. they suck, probably. You know, or yeah. bring them, bring them, let us redo it. So yeah. cool, man. So Matt, where do you want to go from there? We kind of jumped around a little I bit, totally, but it does. It does not matter. We do not have a script, man. But if you've ever listened to this thing, it can. We run rabbits, is what we call it. Yeah. We just keep chasing them around. I love chasing a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> There's no words to describe it. <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's, you just want to start back with the puppy stuff? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. So yeah. we talked about researching a puppy and then OFA, so sorry. Yeah. But, so you, you get a puppy and bring him in. Tell us what to do with it, Matt. Well, and so when you're looking at kind of recommendations that we make, um, of course, you've got to start with puppy shots, making sure their immune system is, is up to up to par, be able to fight whatever they're you know coming in, in contact with on a just day-to-day basis. Um, right. Here in the south – the way I like to describe it to patients is it's different than up north. Up north, your question is if we're exposed to parvo. Um, down here south, it's when you're exposed to parvo, are you healthy enough to fight it off? 
Um, and that's where it's so important to start those shots is at six to eight weeks and keep up with them. Um, we have them on a three-week increment that we keep on until they hit 16 weeks of age. Um, up until th- that point, does the mama provide that through her nutrition to help fend off stuff? Yeah. And so the first 24 hours um, – through colostrum, I don't know if you've ever heard heard much about it. I have in cattle, and I know that a calf go, got it too. Yeah. A calf will go blind if it doesn't get colostrum in that first little yep. bit. But go ahead, it's the same exact thing. Okay, um, but up to sixteen weeks of age, depending on the puppy, it can take that long for the puppy's immune system to kind of take over. And the maternal antibodies they get through that colostrum in the first twenty four hours is what's keeping that puppy safe. Um, but just like with every every other vaccine, you get a little bit of a boost of immunity with that just because of exposure um and then if we can get at least one shot in that puppy after that their immune system takes over whether if it's 12 weeks so you get two or three depending on your timing or 16 weeks and you get one instead of just having a little boost it's just an exponential skyrocket on how well you're protected and so with that you can argue what the heck are, what was the vet grinding this man around six weeks nine weeks 12 weeks if you got maternal immunity that's covering you in that thing well the kicky tricky part there is if you didn't get good you know, the mom's sick, the mom's weak, they don't get a lot of colostrum as a puppy, and you don't get a good pass fur of immunity from mom to the puppy, then he's a time bomb waiting if he gets exposed to it early. So you yeah. start vaccinating, mm-hmm. internal immunity will start to wane at about six weeks. as the earliest you kind of see it. And then we know by 16 weeks it's all gone. So that's why you're doing a series in there. Cool. <laughs> I, has, I didn't know that, man. I didn't learn something right here. And yeah. then, of course, in conjunction with distemper parvo kind of, four-way or six-way combination of such. You'll run it, walk, then track the blind. You'll see 10 ways and all that kind of stuff as well. Right. Um, with us specifically here, our last two rounds of shots, not only do you have the, the, the Stemper-Parvo combination, um, in the earlier rounds you have a coronavirus, but also real key, I think, for these, um, especially duck dogs in the south, especially, um, we have a leptospirosis component, which is a, a bacteria that's found in your, just your local waterways with the ponds, rivers, um, my previous clinic when I was in the Army, I had a, a patient who was vaccinated, actually, um, get exposed in the front ditch of their yard, a little chihuahua. Um, so it's literally everywhere. Um, really? But because we're in and out of these waters, you know, you're over in Arkansas, you know, rice fields and timber or just, you know, up north hunting rivers, it's it's going to be there and you're exposed to it. So. And back in the day, you could mention that we just vaccinated for corona the first couple of sets, and you forget about it because nobody knows or cares what corona is. And now all of a sudden, like coronavirus, don't you? <laughs> like, right. <so laughs> there is, the the coronavirus in dogs causes more of a it's like a light version of parvo kind of thing. Um, and no, not COVID nineteen, totally unrelated, right? Type deal. But I remember when COVID was first coming out and. You know, I was like, oh, it's going to be a joke because, I mean, COVID and a puppy's no big deal. The the old-timer <laughs> thought was if a puppy gets sick with GI stuff, if it lives, it's corona, and if it dies, it's parvo. That was sort of the, the old-school way of looking at it. Right, it makes and then, sense. And then corona shut the whole world down, so now you can't even mention corona without a little asterisk beside it. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not that one. <laughs> We're talking about dogs on this yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess the last big thing that I'd like to recommend um, when you're looking at puppies, and it leads over into the kind of adult maintenance as well um expect if you're up in the northeast at all you know looking at, at lyme vaccines um and it gets pretty heavy up there and it can do just as much damage as some of these lepto issues we and parvo issues we have down here lyme mm-hmm. l-y-m-e like lyme's disease yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. gotcha yep. cool dogs get it too yeah um, yeah we see more lichia which is hard to say on the news so nobody ever talks about it but right they're lichia rocky mountain spotted fever and lyme disease that's the the big players and yeah. Um, yeah, especially in the north where, where Lyme's so prevalent, it's really important to have that vaccine. And, mm-hmm. and if they do encounter that, it can be treated, but is it something that's always in their body, or does that treatment beat it back? And then it, it knocks it back, but, you know, I mean, I've had people call me before, like, hey, what about this vitamin doxycycline? It's <laughs> not quite a vitamin. It's <laughs> not dang, a vitamin. It'll dang sure make them run straighter. <laughs> that's no <laughs> straight draw. Oh, that's a fact. <laughs> Go yeah. straight. Yeah, I mean, you Put get that a, in you your get book a, of tricks. Uh-huh. <laughs> you get one that won't hold the line, and just they're just off. You send tick titers in, you'll probably find a low grade titer to one of those three we were talking about. We try to keep some of them gold nuggets way down in yeah, our pockets, and you hold on to them now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had dogs with herlicia, and it, yeah. oh, it, it's so crazy. You can take a dog. I've had them getting ready to go to the to the grand, mm-hmm. and literally could not pick up a started test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't get them and, and be out there giving it all they have and just 
couldn't get them. And, of course, it irritates you. You get upset with them. You want to correct because you think it's a lack of effort. Mm-hmm. You realize they they mentally can't handle it. Get yeah, them lying back out. And they don't feel good. They, they don't they feel don't good. Hurt. No, it's like no. they got the flu and stuff. I mean, yeah, the, the older you get, the easier it is to realize. Usually when the dog's doing something wrong, there's a so, problem. Yep. You know, when I remember – I started training hard in my twenties, and you're like, he, he just, you know, he's screwing me today. That dog, you know, he's pissing me <laughs> off. And yeah. the, the dog's usually not smart enough to completely just yank your chain. Usually, a yeah. lot of times, it's either your training or the, the dog's sick. There's typically an issue with yep. why they're doing it to you. A yeah. lot of times, yes. I, I ran into a guy uh, Bob Montler up in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> we were training. He said he's got a nine year old dog. He said, man, all of a sudden he's just quit. He can't mark him. I said he probably got Arlichia. He's like, no, no way. I said, have him checked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Call him back. He said, how'd you know it? I said, five or six times. I'm, it, I mean, you do it long enough. It's like, y'all see it just like we do. Yeah, We know you know what, what you're dealing with. Because you're put a genius, them, right? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> you put them on that <laughs> ghost train. I do a podcast, obviously. <laughs> you put them on that ghost train, and about seven or ten days, they start hitting them Oh, again. that mm-hmm. tenth day, man, You need that's when you need to have them at a field trial somewhere because mm-hmm. they're fixing to get real good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. <laughs> Well, I guess to continue on, and this really is a transition not only from puppyhood but into adulthood, um, sitting down with your vet and having a good conversation about heartworm disease. Um, that's a big one that can greatly shorten a working dog's career. Well, if it's just, hey, you know, we went through treatment, but instead of working for 10 years, we'll work for eight because of damage to the heart. Or if we didn't know we had it, you know, I've seen, you know, just one or two of them that while we're working pass away just because their heart can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at heartworm preventatives, we got kind of medications and classifications. We've got ivermectin, we've got milbamycin, we've got moxidectin. And of course, every one of those, we've heard ivermectin, heart guard, tri-heart, all those kind of deals. Um, a hot one these days in, under the moxidectin category is the ProHeart injections, um, which is what I personally use for my personal pets. And I love using it and love recommending it for our clients. Um, just because there's the resistance issues get here, keep hearing about, it's not as big of a problem there. I'm not saying you still don't have breakthrough cases occasionally because um, nothing's 100%. But that's definitely my biggest recommendation is having that conversation at that last vet visit and getting on a, a regiment and staying on it. Um, and then everybody, I mean, or if you've been playing this game for a while, you remember the, I mean, just a wreck in, what, 2005, 2015, just everybody's dog was positive. And, mm-hmm. and we figured out that Advantage Multi was the ticket. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Get them on multi, multi, multi. And so, moxidectin's the ingredient that's in Advantage Multi. So, in multi, it's still a great drug. I like mm-hmm. multi. I don't, we've gotten to where everything's either an injectable or a pill. You have to put that oily stuff on their back. You don't have to worry about it. And so, washing off. Or we something. don't do nearly as much multi now as we did mm-hmm. back in yep. the day because we've had pretty well equally good results with with the pro heart as is, we and have. it's the same Multi. drug it's same the drug. same drug same mo- yep. mo- is it moxidectin yep moxidectin. yeah, yeah. yeah. They, don't they have it in pill form now maybe like There's one a, called symperica symperica yeah, yeah. that's symperica uh, trio to yeah. be specific and that, yeah. co- that covers yeah. everything right i mean that's like a a coverall that you're that's the, yeah, that's the true coverall. It's yep. a flea tick heartworm. It gets yep. the whole shebang. Yeah, and that's, uh, once again, Semperica Trio is the whole shebang. It's the shebang, yeah. The reason I want to highlight that is because there's a product called Semperica. doesn't have the word trio on it. That's yeah. only flea and tick. Oh, okay. And yeah. we would not use miss your heartworm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good catch. That's right. why we yeah. keep it, the kid around. <laughs> it must be pretty good because I've got, I think i got four, yeah, i got four veterinarian dogs and training, mm-hmm. you know, vets, dogs and training right now, and that's every one of them's on that. Yeah, yeah. it's a good drug. Yeah, it's real good. But, I mean, what am I trying to say? That 2005 to 2015, there was a um, a special kind of heartworm that came through, right? Man, I mean, I've How been did, to I've been to so many. I've been paid to go to meetings. I've paid to go to meetings. I've been to all the stuff on it. It was mm-hmm. hot in the Mississippi Delta. That was where it was the worst. But I remember. It was probably 2003, 2004, Aiken calls me. He's like, dude, heart guard doesn't work anymore. I'm like, oh, shut up. Yeah, it does. And then Jay Paul calls, and then Scott Greer calls. And it's like that pocket, Jonesboro, Dyersburg area. Mm-hmm. A couple years later, I started seeing it. I was like, man, what's up with this? You know. And we were doing heart guard on the 1st and interceptor on the 15th and double dosing and it, just all these different things. They figured out, one, that a, a new type of mosquito came into the Mississippi Delta, and it's a – Bigger mosquito. He's got white stripes on his legs. You'll see it when it lands on you at nighttime. Yep. And that one carries like 10 times the number of baby heartworms that our old endemic heartworm did. 
some smart person told me it came in through a truck tire into the port of Houston in sometime in the 80s. I was like, how the heck do you know it came from China through a truck tire to Texas? Like, but that's what somebody said, how it got here. But no, <laughs> it's perfect down sense. China, totally. They no. mess up a lot of stuff. <laughs> but so there's the, the, that happened for sure. In laboratory setting, they did find that there's a little bit of resistance to some heartworm preventatives, but we don't see it so much in the real world, but there, that has been proven in a lab setting. And then they've also, like, I've done studies on the number of hurricanes coming through the Delta area causing all the flooding and the chaos and that type stuff, which puts more mosquitoes in the area, puts more dogs off heart and preventative and increases the burden. So there's a lot of different things. But but then in our world, it was Matt missed it. He was still in vet school in South Alabama. Now mm-hmm. we don't really see heartworm disease anymore. I mean, like, you, you see it, but you don't see it. Back then it was seemed like, Every tenth dog turned up heartworm positive. Where yeah. before, if they took heart guard every other month, they were okay. And now it's kind of back to that pre-level. Um, is it because we're using a lot more moxidectin? Maybe. Is it? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Well, I think people caught on. It's actually taking better care of, care of their pets too. Maybe it's yeah. Like, I, I think their right. lines are way better than they used to be. Yeah, as I say, just education um, and knowledge of it just across the board. You know, throughout the, the U.S. and the world is just higher. Um, I think veterinarians as a whole are getting better over the last 10, 15 years about truly understanding and truly educating um, clients on how to properly give it. And that, you know, on some of these ivermectin products that you have truly 30 days, if you wait 32, 33 days, there's your two to three day breakthrough window where you can catch that um, because it's up to 30 days of coverage. And I I think that's where a lot of the the pro heart injections are really helped because, you know, you don't, that's honestly the reason I switched to it because I got home after being busy today at the clinic, and I'd forget to give it. So you just yeah. it takes that forgetfulness aspect out of it. Yeah, yeah. Idiot, and, idiot but, proofing is key. Well, yeah. that's <laughs> I tell a lot of people ask me, you know, what I use? I use the Pro Heart because it takes my liability out of it. Mm-hmm. I haul it to my vet, the dogs. They give them the shot, and if there's a problem at that point, it ain't on you. Yeah, Jimmy has nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, I guess and I'm one out of it. Yeah, I yeah. guess seeing all of those cases of positive heartworms through that time, probably got pretty good at treating them, huh? Yeah, I mean, and, and there's, you know, you get into talking about slow kill versus fast kill. That's like talking politics and religion. Oh, you boy, get people I'm fired you. up <laughs> on that man, one. Man. People want to fight over that. It's <laughs> just crazy. But, yeah, I mean, you see enough cases. You kind of know which ones need slow kill, which ones need the fast kill. And, and we've gotten it down with the dogs do really, really well with it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> we won't get into politics. Oh, yeah. yeah. That <laughs> is a touch. Yeah. I've, <laughs> Yeah, that's I figured I'd just dabble that out there, see if I get you to take the <laughs> take the bait or not. Best thing, give that thing Pro Heart Six and just don't get them to start with. Yeah, no, no, you don't have to worry about it. That's a real. It, you're you're really 100 percent correct. Yeah, are y'all doing the year long yet? A lot of people mm-hmm. talking about it. you are. Okay, that's why I use my my personal. Dogs. Y'all, do y'all believe in it? I mean, it can hang in there that long and still be effective. Mm-hmm. I guess that was was my question. I was like, man, how's that one shot? They, yeah. they had it in Europe for a long time before we got over. I don't think we'd ever get it. And then all of a sudden, they one day were like, hey, we're getting 12. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so they it, it's been it's been out for a pretty good while. Okay. Um, and we've used it wide open for three, four years, and I haven't seen any more breakthroughs on that than I have the six. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very good. Good yeah. stuff. <clears throat> what you got, Matt? Let's move, move, move along there. You- really, of course, once again, just like politics, food is a big hole you can get into. Yeah. Um, Let's talk I mean, nutrition there. It's all so cheap these days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. yeah. Well, if you're like me and Adam, uh-huh. they give it to us. Yeah. <laughs> don't, no, no, no. Let's don't get that started. Don't, we'll get to don't. you. Wait, wait. People talk about us I was enough, lying. Jim. Just quit. Yeah. Somebody asked yesterday, um, where do you get one of them? I had a Purina hat on like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where you get one of them hats? I said it costs about $3,500 a month. <laughs> so, That's funny. All yeah. right. It's so nutrition. Yeah, let's talk that. And so when you're looking at – best thing outside of the heartworm flea tick stuff you can do at home for your pet and for your working dog no matter what it is is keep it in good shape um don't let it get overweight which gets into the nutritional aspect of it um when you're looking at brands i'll be first admit the way i tell every single one of my clients is i am a huge pro plan fan i've loved it for a long time but the reality of it is that the brand honestly doesn't matter that much uh, what matters is the ingredient profiles, ingredient combinations behind it, and is if that specific dog handles well on it. If they'll eat it for you, 
And, you know, if it's a dog that has a bad a bad sense of GI tract or skin, if it helps us manage that better, or if it's just a working dog that needs high energy, high protein, and a lot of calories going in to replen- replenish what you use it during the day, mm-hmm. if we can check are the boxes of the needs for those dogs, that's the perfect brand and the perfect ingredients for that dog. Of course, for guys on y'all's level where you're feeding, you know, a kennel full of them, it's hard to – get on a specific diet for each individual one. Yeah, it's hard to say, oh, Butch down there needs Victor, and then oh, we're going to give Dolly, we're going to get her some propane. Yep. I mean, yeah. that's really, really hard yeah. on us. Yeah. Well, we have we have ways to set up if clients want to get y'all involved and if trainers are willing to, to set up plans to help manage that a little bit better between probiotics and other things we can do. Right. Um, but on an amateur's side of things that has, you know, like me, two to three dogs, and, you know, we're, we're training five to six days a week, I've got my puppy is on, well, soon-to-be puppy is going to be on ProPlan when she's old enough to sport just because it's an all-age formula. Right now I've got another one just because I like to try different things. So I can You have a professional opinion on it. I'm feeding a nookshook right now to another one um, just to say, hey, I, I like it or I don't. But then yeah. my older, um, I've got a retired um, master hunter and finished dog. Um, she's on, Purina has a joint mobility formula, and she's on that JM formula. I've got them literally all over the place. Um but, but the biggest a little more research just to see what you think about each one of them. You're just kind yep. of doing some research on those. Yeah. So what I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this question in there. The mm-hmm. 30 20s all life stages in pro plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you have you seen any? You know, is that okay to feed to a nine ten week old puppy? So I I personally haven't had any problems. Um, most of the time, it be when people get worried about it i say you know let's wait until um that 12 to 16 week range then we can switch over um but when you're looking at the similarities between the diets and someone may come on and say hey this young buck don't know what he's talking about right Um, my understanding is that the main difference between adult foods and puppy foods is the protein content the fat content but the higher proteins i don't really like feeding the 30 20 yeah the Mm -hmm. the the big proteins of these young puppies i i would prefer just for slowing their growth rate down a little bit not feeding the hot stuff and it's hard for you guys i totally get it yeah um and have kind of you know had some gentle sparring matches with a few not necessarily you two but some of your compadres mm-hmm. over because it, it is hard it's like man mm-hmm. i've got i had a kennel of 40 dogs and i had time to feed x y and z and i get that but they just a, an adult maintenance just kind of the retired dog on the couch the difference in that food and a large breed puppy they're almost the same thing like it's just no mm-hmm. big deal feeding mm-hmm. the adult maintenance your higher protein a little bit hotter foods for these guys that are working five six days a week twice a day i personally would rather you not feed that to the young guys just because too much protein too much those don't have a lot of calcium to them like the the small breed puppies are gonna have more calcium in them but Anything to make the bones grow faster puts more stress on the joints because you don't have the muscle mass to support it. And then back to the beginning of the podcast, you're worried about hips later on down the road. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so that's the reason is we're trying to – I worry a little bit about joint health with hips and elbows and that kind of stuff. They're growing too fast. Too fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've always worn – that was a question I've always had. I mean, I, and I have fed puppies uh, sport 30-20 and brought them up on that. But, you know, I tend to – Go out of my way to get the puppy food for the little bitty guys anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because then, I just don't want them. I want them to grow at a rate that it's designed to. You know, and another food hot button topic. There's a lot of these boutique diets. Like there's the cutesy stores that feed the grain freeze and, and all that kind of stuff. And and they're you get on Facebook and you'll see that you know the dog food caused the dog to have a heart attack or you know this that other. There's actually some truth to that. So these. Mm-hmm. Total grain-free diets. They got lots of peas and legumes in them, and with that, it can lead to, the, to a dilated cardiomyopathy in large breed dogs. And so, I don't. What was really that word? Dilated cardiomyopathy. Make their heart get real big and kill them. Right, write that down. You can look it up later. D- just <laughs> the call funny it part DCM. is, he, yeah, he he can't spell. I'm yeah. better. I'm DCM. I go with it. But <laughs> it, it is one of these. It is a uh, like you just. I mean, heck, I said it out loud. It'll be on everybody's Facebook feed. But mm-hmm. it's it's something that you'll see and hear about. But and it's one of those that people talk about it and you don't pay attention to it until we saw one and then two. And then I've seen six or eight here that I've had my hands on. I had Walmart on her die last Christmas. Uh, his heart was 
big as his whole thorax, and he had eaten a grain-free diet his whole life, and they thought they were feeding him the best food you could possibly buy. Mm-hmm. And for smaller breed dogs, it's fine. But these big guys, I'm, I don't like grain-free diets for the big ones. So put that in there too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's something I, I didn't learn something else right there that I did not know. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. All right. Well, so, and, and when you run the numbers behind it, because my clinic when I was in the Army wasn't always the busiest thing. When that was a hot topic, I sat down and ran the numbers. And um, it's re- it's a relatively low risk um, that you're going to be one of the, you know, hundred you know, tens of thousands of dogs that comes down with it. But the concern with a lot of veterinarians is that you're risking a non-treatable disease process. Um, that when it happens, you can't really reverse it to get rid of it. And so, you know, why risk something like that? Is what it is. It so, yep. time you find out. Yeah, and, yeah. and not I, a lot of it. I base on what we see. You know, if it's in a busy four or five man practice here, but we're not that big. You know, if we're seeing cases of it, then I think it's more of a legit thing. When you're mm-hmm. just hearing people talk about it, and you got smart guys in suits saying it. I listen to it, but don't pay that much attention. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, when it starts knocking on our door, then my ears go up a little bit more. It's, it's a real think. deal at mm-hmm. that point, mm-hmm. right? That's one thing I've always liked about you is that you you probably one of the realest vets. Just you know, you just in this deal just like we are. You yeah. you know what we're dealing with, and it's that's critical to me. You know? it is. and if you can find a vet, you know, there's not just a ton of redneck guys and I on every street corner. But finding a vet that appreciates what a, what a working dog goes through it it, it helps because there's a lot of a lot of money, a lot of time put yeah. in, and everybody loves their animal. But these are a little different. Yeah. Type things. So if you got somebody that appreciates it, it most people it have a basset hound don't spend fifty thousand dollars trying to make a grand champion out of mm-hmm. it for so much return on investment. For so much return, then <laughs> then you know that circle won't breed. All right. Well, <laughs> and I think I can't remember if it's Jimmy, if it's you, or who I was talking to last week in that master test we ran together. Um, we were having a conversation about not only we understand what like how it all plays together, but how our treatment plans and protocols can affect you know, your master test next weekend or your finish test next week um, about and how it could, could change that and work that into the plans on how to kind of work through some of these problems we're seeing. Yeah. So. Um, just to, just as silly as treating ear infection. Way back when we got this cool new ear medicine to pack their ears with, and I did it for my buddy's dogs, and he came back and he's like, dude, you owe me whatever, 70 bucks, whatever it was for a finish test because I packed the dog's ears. Well, I'm thinking he's running a hunt test that weekend. She wouldn't stop on a whistle in the water for nothing because you couldn't hear him. <laughs> that was totally my fault. <laughs> yeah. What about supplements, um, prebiotics, probiotics, joint care, and stuff mm-hmm. like that? Well, you know, the bag says it has it, but, you know, do we need to supplement our dogs? What's your thoughts on that? So my thoughts on it is that um, if you are feeding a good quality food, um, no matter what brand it is, um, not trying to skimp on, you know, going mid or low quality, that you don't need to supplement a lot. Um, if you are going to supplement anything, I'm a big believer in glucosamine and chondroitin, so just a joint supplement, just because we're putting so much pressure on those, on these on these joints, their hips, their knees, their elbows. Um, and I think it also depends on what joint supplement you grab. You grab. Um, cause there's been some research done showing that not every company's joint supplement gets into the joint capsule where it matters as, as well as others. Um the three main joint supplements I like to recommend is um, Glycoflex has a, a, a good a couple of good options. They have a different multiple different levels, like a level one, two, three, and they have a plus also. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a Dosequin and Cosequin. Um, under the Dosequin brand, they have a Dosequin Advanced with eggshell membrane. Um, that eggshell membrane just helps with some additional anti-inflammatory controls. It's very 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 mild anti-inflammatory. It's nothing big. Mm-hmm. Um, but then under the Cossequin, the double strength um, helps a lot too. Um, and I think that's a big – I usually start that up um, when they're about four or five um, earlier if I'm thinking about it. But just to start fighting inflammation as much as we can because inflammation inside those joints, which is the true negative in, in, um, impact and real killer for that arthritis and those changes to start occurring. Um, once they get old enough outside of that, you can start giving them on some, some pain meds. Um, like I said, as long as you're on a good quality food – my personal belief is that um, a joint supplement is all you have to look at. Of course, I know a lot of a lot of people, you know, use some other products and stuff that I won't mention on here just to keep people from getting mad or anything. But you know, it's just like I said, personal opinion. Yeah, most of most of it's not going to hurt anything. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they. I'm totally with Madeline. I don't think you really need it. If mm-hmm. you're the the number one thing to give is 
glucose mean yeah um, is that's the, the starting point and best of the bunch yep okay. now i will add this out put this in there as a little addition is that um i want to say it was i may be wrong like five or six years ago they did a big research project up in alaska on sled dogs um specifically their puppies and what they saw with that research there is that fish oil, so omega-3s and omega-6s in it, and puppies had a notable difference um, positively in their brain development and their ocular development. Um, and so for my working dog puppies and, of course, anybody else that wants to go through it, I really like recommending um, adding that fish oil to their diets just to help with that mental and that eye development. For the puppy puppies. Mm-hmm. Like yep. the little puppy I brought in today to yeah. get his shots. He mm-hmm. needs to be getting fish oil. Yes, sir. <laughs> How about that? Dang. Make him see better. No wonder mine can't mark. Didn't get no fish oil. Out of him for sure. You think yeah. that's what it is? That's what it skipping is. on the fish I'm going to be running some good blinds in a couple of years. Y'all sit back and watch. Yeah. yeah. Now, and so kind of at this age point, we're talking about this stuff. So it comes in the conversation of spaying and neutering. A lot of dogs, I mean, if they're a competition dog, you're obviously not going to fix them. But just for your duck hunting dog, family pet that you're working on that type thing it's like well what do you do you fix them at, you know six months has been the party line forever in the vet world like six mm-hmm. months get them cut and that's it they were he's he's talking studies i'll talk once uc davis did one of golden retrievers a few years ago and they took one group and just studied throughout the life of it. But one group never got fixed they were stayed intact their whole life the other group got fixed at six months old and the difference in the intact dogs versus the ones that got fixed was Unbelievable! The lack of, I mean, they lived longer, less body weight, which we all know. If you neuter them, spay them, they get a little heavier. But with that comes less heart disease, less joint disease, that type mm-hmm. stuff. And and there was less of some cancers. You know, some, if you spay a female before she's six months old, she's not going to have mammary cancer. We know that's pretty well a fact. Right. But there's also some added benefits of the ones that were intact were less prone to get some other types of cancer. So there's a, a pretty good. You're talking politics and religion. That one will fire people up both ways, too. But um, I'm a pretty big fan of even if you're no way you're going to breed the dog, that type of stuff, leave them intact until they're 16 months old or so before mm-hmm. getting fixed. Yeah, people yeah. ask me all the time, and, hey, before I bring it to training, and we're talking about bringing the training at six months, seven months old, my vet recommended I should get it fixed. I'm like, no. Yeah, don't mm-hmm. do that. Let yeah. the dog develop. Yeah. Let yeah. it. So know. does it hurt? Like I have a, a female I've retired, and she's 10. And I've thought about the last couple of years. I'm not going to breed her anymore. Mm-hmm. Is it beneficial to go ahead and have her spayed? Or is if she you're, too old or does it matter? As long as – so with that dog, I do pre-op blood work, just like I recommend for most of them. Um, and as long as she's healthy enough to handle anesthesia, my thought process, um, just to kind of put it in a redneck blunt term, is, is yes, we need to do it. Because if we're not breeding them, whether it's a male or a female, those, rec- those reproductive organs are just a source of cancer for both males and females. And for the female side of things, it's a potential to have a pyometra, so get getting a uterine infection on the back side of a heat cycle. Yeah. Because um, if you're not going to use them, all they can be there for is bad things. So if you breed them a time or two and get them up six, seven years old, and you say, this is it, have them spayed in that way, well, their indoor their life would be better or, or better chances. of. It's not at six months, eight months old. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. yeah. Not it, for the working. It, yeah, and, yeah, and if you're for sure, like, no, this there's no way we're on puppies in my house. I don't want heat cycles. I don't want to deal with it, et cetera. Let them get 14, 16 months old, fix them mm-hmm. at that point is my, and there's exceptions to every rule, obviously, but that's my standard advice for a large breed dog. If you've got a, yeah. a Yorkie or a whatever small breed dog in the house, fix them at six months old, and it, it, I'm, I'm okay with that. But yeah. the bigger guys for for joint health and that type of stuff, I like let them get a little older. Cool. Yeah, good advice, guys. I'm with Adam. I get people all the time, like six months, they said spay it, and then I'll bring it to you. I'm like, mm, bring it to me. Yeah. Let's see what we got. Let it develop. Yeah, and yeah. then when training's done, and then how many dogs have you guys had over the years? I know I've seen a bunch of them that were master hunter dogs, or you know, really, really nice animals that you'd killed or bred, but yep. fix them at six months old because that's what the vet wants you to do. <laughs> yeah, and oh like, yeah, man, you'd yeah. love to have a puppy off of that one. Yeah. Exactly, and its hips will be perfect every time for sure. <laughs> yeah, if you want perfect hips and, and excellent <laughs> semen, have it spayed at six months. <laughs> Of course, you won't have the same if you have it. Oh, before we leave nutrition, we had some ear problems. Like mm-hmm. we were just couldn't fend it off, and we had a couple of dogs. Spencer's all been one of them. We put it on um, a prebiotic and a probiotic, and his ears started getting better. Mm-hmm. Is it, I mean, is that, how does that how is that related? 
So the with true food allergies, kind of the the dermatologist say you look for ears and rears. So itchy butts, itchy ears. That's a kind of those two go hand in hand. Most of us aren't lucky enough in the South for them to be just allergic to corn or to soy or to beef or chicken or whatever it is. Right. Because there's every other allergy known to mankind in this part of the world. But we've had a few that you've just changed their diet and all of a sudden their hair grows back and their ear infections go away. It's like, you know, hallelujah, if that's the answer. Usually it's a mixed bag of a little bit of everything. But if you've got some food allergy issues, it will absolutely make the ears flare mm-hmm. up. And so the probiotics just helped with the gut. That helps settle allergy stuff down, I'm yeah. assuming. And uh, Well, it, it all gets back to gastric inflammation and controlling that, G, that gut inflammation, that bloating as best as possible. It's kind gotcha. of what it gets it down to. And those prebiotics and probiotics help keep that gut in a healthier state, which because it's healthier, it's going to be less inflamed. So, Good cool. stuff. All right, so inflamed guts and gassy stuff. So we're talking preventative stuff. So then that comes in. What about what about attacking their stomach? I, that's a good. This is a yeah, great topic. Now you know, and so everybody's like, "Well, what do you think about that?" Well, it's a great idea. It, and again, by the time they're getting close to a year old, and it's time to have them tacked, well, then you're in transition level stuff, and you're starting to do the big dog stuff. And so to take them out of training for a month and bring them in, nobody wants to. And so then you plan to, and you're going to, and then. Next thing you know, you never do it. And most of the time, it's okay until you got a four-year-old all-age dog that's dead on the floor because his stomach flipped and he didn't get here in time. Mm -hmm. So we should do it to all of them. I'm guilty. Matt's probably guilty, I imagine. Everybody's guilty. You don't want to take them out of work to go in and, you know, have two weeks off for going in and having stomach tacked. But I will knock on wood. I don't think I've ever had one flip on me after I've tacked it, and I've tacked a ton of them. Yeah. you know, you hear, you hear both sides of that. You hear it's not one hundred percent effective, and then you hear, man, it, but how can it flip if it's well, the, nothing, nothing's one hundred percent effective. I mean, so right, that, right, that's right. my again. The next mm-hmm. one I do, it's like I'll flip and die because I set it on this stupid thing. But uh, <laughs> well, and kind of what happens with those ones that flip after surgery is that something happens where the dog gets out. You know, the it wasn't sutured strong enough internally. But the surgery side itself just kind of falls apart. The body heals itself, and you don't know a difference because you can't look at it externally. Um, and the next thing you know, a couple of years down the road, they'll, they'll flip then. So. so how that deal works is you basically kind of rough the skin up or inside, right? Mm-hmm. And then you tack it, and it grows back together. So the, the stomach and the dog is not attached at all. It's just a free-floating thing. So Swinging, dog basically. Drinks, it drinks too much eats a little bit and gets to exercise and the stomach gets to swing in and then it can flip all the way over. And once it goes 360, that's clock zone. You've mm-hmm. knotted it up. Um, and how long is, what's it, in the time? What's, how much sand? My, my time's about six hours. Most, all of them that I've cut within six hours do pretty well. I've had a few that didn't, but for the most part, under six hours, you're in good shape. Yeah. If you feed them, leave the kennel, go to the house, come back in the morning, dead dog, he flipped somewhere. Six eight hours <laughs> previous to when you mm-hmm. found him dead, but it's I mean every pro that I know has had it happen to you. You know you just yeah. and nobody means for it to happen, but it you know that if it if it flips middle of the night and you don't get you know you're not there you don't see the dog for ten hours he'll be dead the next morning typically. Yeah. What are the what are the sure enough signs that that's happened? And so if you if you walk out the kennel and you, you catch a dog that's stomach is currently flipped, um, a lot of times they're either. Trying to vomit or dry heave, but because of how everything's flipped and kinked off, um, just like you've twisted a water hose off, even though they're trying to vomit, they can't get anything up. So they're just dry heaving really bad. Um, a lot of them, they'll have just a bloated, distended stomach. Um, very painful when you try to touch their stomach. Um, if you catch them further on in that kind of magic window of, you know, four to six hours kind of pushing it, a lot of them be kind of down and out, laying down, trying to pass away on you. And it's... Uh, One of those things, it's there's not much to line up saying, hey, this is what you look for because it's very little where it's dry, heaving, painful abdomen, bloated stomach, and swollen stomach. Um, they may have some pale mucous membranes um, in their, well, their gums. Um, but once you see it, you're like, this is it. Yeah. I need to roll. A, a bloated dog that's trying to vomit and can't. You want to get bed out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, you call mm-hmm. them and say, my dog is trying to vomit and can't, and he's bloated up. And we mm-hmm. will come running out the door for that. That's the 
easiest way to get a vet to come in in the middle of the night. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you, you can then tell us to look at their ear infection, but she wants to get out of bed. <laughs> you tell us they're bloating, trying to, <laughs> trying to vomit, and they can't. Yeah, that started yeah. about three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to be real mad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, um, but, yeah, and last, and it's so notable, um, I had I had one month last year that was just seemed like it was every single night, night I was on call I had a GDV coming in. Um and probably five of the seven I cut that much that month, um, the owner called me and said didn't say anything. They said, Hey, Doctor Ryan, this is so and so. I think my dog's stomach has flipped. Um and that's just general public walking on the street that has, you know, whatever dog they may have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once you like I says once you see it, you're like, I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Yeah, there's, there's not so, a whole lot of doubt. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so when we, you know, so if the flummox stomach's flipped, we detours them so you rock the stomach back the way it's supposed to go, which is pretty scary because the stomach's all ballooned up and black and you got toxins all in there. And so <laughs> when you flip the stomach, sometimes those endotoxins will hit them and kill them dead on the table. That's the scariest part of the surgery. But you get past that, we get the stomach back in place, and then we go in. And, and so basically you just cut into the muscle of the stomach, not into the lumen of it where all the – the bad stuff's at but just the muscly part then you cut the body wall on the muscle part and sew the two together so you get a big deep kind of bloody kiss type thing mm-hmm. and put some big adhesion on there and they wow. stick together i had but, one i don't know it was this year um back closer to christmas time but it was a dog that had been tacked and was trying to flip he was bloated massively and the stomach was rolled but it was i mean i said it looked like a tie down strap in a hurricane i mean it was like pulling like crazy <laughs> on it but that tack kept it in place long enough to get it to me, and I got it put back in place. And so that's the closest one I've seen fail. But it, um, one, I didn't do it, and two, um, it, it held in there long enough for me to <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but uh, like the, uh, like a Great Dane, for instance, that, that's like what they're noted for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You, you think that you want to, I mean, like you just see a Great Dane, they go, oh, we've got to tack his stomach. I mean, yeah. it's just a gastropex. Yeah. He's mandatory yeah. on that. But I've seen, Dotsons flip their stomach. You know, really? Yeah, the little ones will do it too, huh? Little, oh, yeah. But they're kind of deep-chested for their size. Yeah. So if if we have a lab that's bigger, is that more prone to flip a stomach in a Labrador or no? Bigger as far as deep chest. Um, yes. But bigger as far as just being a little hefty and enjoying his food. No, I'm talking about too much. Big, I'm, yeah, that, like, that big yeah. deep-chested dog, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then I've had some that were um, – just real gassy, you know. They just they'd eat and they'd get they'd mm-hmm. belch a lot and they'd fart a lot, and they're just just real gassy animals. Those I'm I'm gonna hard press you to get that stomach tack because you know the stomach's getting gassy, and if it's getting gassy, then you've got a better chance of it rolling. And just the standard two year old or one year old nice dog, he he probably needs it. I think all of them could could stand to have it done, but and there are some that we we're gonna beat on you a little harder to to do it with. Yeah. And there's like I said, well, if you come to us or, or your local vet, talk to them. Cause there's multiple ways to go through this preventative tacking. You don't there's you don't always have to make the big abdominal incision and open way up like a lot of people imagine from the past. There's some ways to go about it with just some smaller incisions over just right behind the that last rib there. Um, that I've done it. They're not any harder, not any easier than um, doing it the traditional route. Um, it's just a matter of kind of knowing where to make your incisions and what to do. Yeah. So, and you said the heel time on that. Let's say if I had a dog, I want to get that done. Two weeks, three weeks back in the field. Yes. Two, two weeks, you're about ready to roll. Yeah. yeah. Um, skin, you're looking at seven to ten days. Um, two to three weeks. I tend to err on the side of caution and say more of the three weeks. Yeah. Um, just because you went through the pain of pulling out of training, you went through the pain of going through the surgery. So you can do everything you can to make sure that surgery site internally where that stomach is attacked, that wall's not going to fail. Yeah. yeah. And so. by this time, they're in a point in training where three weeks is not going to kill them. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Back, back when I was training dogs so much, I'd I'd like hit a stretch where I was on call all the time, and just mm-hmm. life hit, and I couldn't train my transition level dog. And then you pull them back out, expecting it to be wrecked. Like, oh, damn it, what? Why I should have done this a long time yeah. ago? Yeah, because they've had time for stuff to click in their head and kind of settle in. They always seem like they ran better after mm-hmm. they had a little bit of time off. No, I'm with you. I see I, it all the time. Yeah, I, see, I think time's off a good thing for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, they need a break too. We've all learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Over training, that's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, kind of moving on from that, because we talked food, we talked health, we talked all the gut stuff, you know, keeping them in, in weight, in, in proper weight. 
Um, there's a really good um, – I mean, you just kind of a transition talking about like heat stroke and heat management mm -hmm. because it plays a big part in the next kind of area or two. Um, but look, Purina has a really good BCS chart, so body condition score chart. Just follow that. Keep those dogs in a four to five out of nine um, where you can easily palpate their ribs. Um, you know, they've got a good hourglass figure from the top and the side, and that will really help them manage not only the heat stuff and the orthopedic stuff like we're going to talk about here in just a second, but um, just helps them run better because there's less stress and they can handle um, the mental stress of running a little bit easier too. There's a lot of times I get a dog dropped off and I'm like, man, uh, that that dog is fat. You need to put that, you know, that dog is too big. And, and they look at me like, are you really making a fat comment, you know? <laughs> but I'm pretty pretty picky about my dogs um, as far as being in health, you know, not being overweight or – yeah, yeah, when they're when they're terribly overweight, your your increasing chance of um of heat strokes and of torn cruciates and of all the there's a lot of stuff that comes along. Mm -hmm. They're they're just not. I mean, it's, heck, all of us. You know, you're you're a lot more prone to hurt yourself in the gym if you're not in very good shape versus um yeah a little leaner. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking, like I said, we can use that as a transition to kind of go into that heat stroke and heat stress, especially since we're in the middle of it right now, um, looking at August going to September heat right here at the end of the summer. Um, of course, a big part of it is prevention, um, whether it's keeping your dog in shape. Um, a lot of what y'all do just naturally is your job, but a lot of amateurs um, don't always think about is, you know, you've, you just come out of duck season, you took, you know, two or three months off or four months off, you run around and treat your wife during the month of February, turkey hunt for a couple months here and there, and now you're in june july looking at getting back into it and your dog's been laid up on the couch for a couple of months right um you know looking at running some center line drills or some you know quite a few t drills just to help get their endurance up a little bit um if you got the property and the equipment go out and road them yeah i'm saying um, roading is a is a mm -hmm. good yeah. way to do that too yep um just so we can you know slowly rebuild their um tolerance and kind of how in how well they are um physically in shape really helps fight that overheating quite a bit. Um, when we're looking at things to look for, the, um, I mean, you look for excess salivation. Um, a lot of those dogs come back wide open mouth, tongue hanging out. You got a lot of just thick saliva built up in the back of their throat. Those are the ones that it's, it's time to put them away. Um, kind of the way I like to run my personal dogs is if we get done running, and well, even if it's still early morning, um, and they're worried, more worried about breathing and moving air across that tongue to be able to cool because they don't sweat like we do than drinking water. I know that they're, it's time to be done for the day. Right. Um, but if you can That's a good point. I, I yeah. have, I've never heard that. Yeah. Well, and like I said, if they're more worried about breathing, because like I said, it's the only way they cool is from their, their paw pads. They have a couple of sweat glands in their paw pads but they can cool from and evaporative cooling over their tongue. If they're more worried about cooling themselves off by breathing um, than, than drinking, it's it's time to go. Um, right. A little trick. I've used a little bit, mainly just, I just say a little bit, because I, I always don't keep a spray bottle in the truck. Um, one thing you help them cool with, if, cool with if they do, do, do come back and they've got that big, thick buildup in the back of their throat and their wide open mouth, take a spray bottle and store a little water back in there, just wash it off a little bit. And so Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, the big thing is, you know, what do you do when it gets too much? You know, when they get to the point where they refuse, you know, guy just isn't paying attention and they give him a back running a, a t-drill and dog lays down like i'm done i'm not going again they keep burning him wanting to go wanting to go because they're not seeing they're so concentrated on training they're not seeing they're having a health issue pop up right um the biggest thing you can do once you get there is one get them in a don't throw them in an ice bath because you can cool them off too fast and cause additional problems um just get them whether if it's in your truck with the, the fan blowing on them um I carry a bottle of alcohol in my truck. Mm -hmm. That way I can put the alcohol on their paw pads just to help cool them off a little bit. Um, on their ears works good, too. Ears yeah. are real vascular, and you douse those in alcohol. It helps cool them down. Mm -hmm. And that fast evaporation. Yep, exactly. just because it evaporates fast. Gotcha. Um, and then get them to a vet. Because um, when you're looking at heat stroke, you may – and I'll say it this way. I had a, a guy call me um, three weeks ago saying, hey, we went through the whole thing of it. Said, yeah, he, he's had a stroke. He decided not to take the dog into the vet because he got him in the truck. Everything seemed pretty fine. Um, but a big thing with it is that you'll have some secondary underlying kidney to, you kind, of, kind of damage or some liver damage. Um, and that dog, three days later, ended up their kidney shutting down on him. Mm -hmm. um, so no matter how insignificant it may be, you know, it's always recommended to 
get them in to have the vet look them over. It's never a bad idea to run IV fluids and potentially run some blood work just to make sure those kidneys haven't and those, that liver hasn't taken a big hit. Right. Yeah, that's a big deal right there. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a huge And so much of it's on the trainer. Than, like, we can – you can – not every time, but a lot of times you're watching your dog, you can prevent a whole lot of this, you know, yeah. and, and knowing when when to call it a day versus trying to really get that down the shore mark perfected. Like, it's yeah. – <laughs> there's, there's times that – another thing that – I don't know how totally true this is or not, but, yeah, I'm – back when I was just a kid dog trainer in vet school, somebody told me when the dog goes kicking out the side of their mouth, that's when it's time to start watching them. And it, I always kind of that's, made a that's, little mental note on that. That's what I do when they, when their tongue's out the side mm-hmm. and a little uncontrollable, it's, they're done. Yeah, yeah, just stop. Because yeah. they're, the they're going to get a little hotter from that point before that's right. they start that's cooling right. down. Yeah. Yep. yep. And I think having – we've talked about this a little bit. Adam and I have been doing it long enough that we have the self-control to say, you know what, it's enough. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we've been working together, and so like, that's enough. You know, just yeah. stop. When you're young and you really want it, like you said, you're just concentrating so hard. Next thing you know, it's too much. Yeah. So you got to you got to really think if it's if it's hot on you out there. Imagine it. They're wearing their fur coat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's that much hotter. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Make it easy on the little fellers. They can't help. And some of them are bred so hot anymore. You know, bred so well. <laughs> they'll they'll just keep going till they can't take no more, and it's not their fault. Right. You know? I've owned right. a couple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we're about an hour. Yep. We could go on for oh. another hour because we want to do <laughs> reproduction and <laughs> we want to talk about Lee's Grand Champions and that whole line of deal yeah. that he had. So we'll have to do all that another day. But as we close, I know you guys got appointments coming in. It's time to rock and roll. What is one, just maybe one tip or one thing that you might can throw out for somebody that if, you know, a very important something that people need to know that we haven't covered. You think anything off the top of your head? Man, I've been throwing those out this whole stinking podcast. That's yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> we weren't supposed to talk about stomach tax. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> GDV prevention is my, um, my tip. I think the biggest thing, and it's, you know, one of those things is do as I say, not as I do, just because I fall under it myself, just being quick, being lazy, right, is especially that first year life. And if you can get yourself to do it, the entire dog's life, help your dog in and out of the back of the truck or in and out of the trailer. Oh, I like it. Um, man, that's a know, good get tip, man. Get, get a ramp if Young you want guys, a ramp boy. to um, to, right to walk them on and out. That's one of the biggest things. Once again, goes that master test. Oh yeah. There's a kid that I met up there um, from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Andrew. Uh, yeah. First thing he did was pull a ramp and walked. He made sure both his dogs came out of the dog box, walked down the ramp, and back up the ramp. Yeah. Because um, not you know we've talked hips, we've talked knees and all that kind of stuff, but one of the big problems that we see in older labs that takes them out of the game, whether it's working or competing, is elbow arthritis and elbow issues. And every time they jump out of that truck or off that dog stand or off you know off the back of the truck or, or the trailer, those elbows and those that front legs catch on 100 percent of their weight pretty yeah. hard. We had a so. pretty good conversation about that, Ronnie Lee. Mm-hmm. Down in uh, Louisville, oh, yeah. uh, he was over this weekend. We uh, talking about like the holes on the trailer, the height. Mm-hmm. You know, is the bottom holes the right height? Like I got a sixteen hole chassis, mm-hmm. and my bottom holes would be probably a little lower than a tailgate on a normal size truck. Not a big truck, but just a normal size truck. And then of course my top holes, I actually take each dog and set them to the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the, some of my older dogs on my bottom holes, I set them to the ground. And then some of the little ones, I just let jump out. Yep. What's your thoughts on that? Is it, do you think every time they come out of that box, they need to be sl- at least slowed down? I think if you can slow them down, yeah. I mean, you know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them say that. Even though it's just a couple of feet, anytime you can decrease pressure on it, it's better. Right. And that's what Ronnie was talking about. He said that's yeah. something we need to look at because he's had dogs like I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to keep a lot of older dogs. Just mm-hmm. starting to keep. When I say older, I'm at threes and four year olds. I'm not. Yep. I don't have a eights and nines. But he's been at that level mm-hmm. where he's had those eight, nine, ten year old dogs, and he said if I had it to do over. They would have never pounded that ground. Yep. So. Well, the reason I say even at such short a height, because even though we see, hey, that dog's jumping and hitting his head on top of the kennel, six foot, you know, oh, walk yeah. out in the morning. Every impact, because of their size comparatively to us, is an exponential an exponential um, kind of increase. And so instead of it feeling, it may feel if you jumped off tailgate, it may actually be two or three times the impact of level for them as compared to us. Right. And yeah. so it's just, once again, just doing everything we can to protect it and keep them in the game as long as possible. You think about me, I hop out the truck after I've been riding a little bit and it hurts 
You know, yeah, that's older. I get the worse it hurts. Off that running board, talk talk to old Thad Simmons about that. He'll tell you a story here recently. (laughs) Uh, You get the whole story. He wasn't just hopping off the truck. Yeah, that (laughs) crazy sucker. Yeah, there's way more to that. Oh, my guys, we won't do this again and and get more into reproductions. And 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 I know we kind of we may have had a few more things we wanted to get to, but man, it was this was great. Yep. We appreciate y'all taking your time yeah. to do it. And Fun doing it. Oh, yeah. They got, you know, young buck, <laughs> smart as a whip, man. What are you saying about me? you just a legend, bud. The legend. <laughs> you are a legend. Guys, thank y'all. You bet. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. I had a blast. I had a blast. Mm-hmm. We'll play us a little music here and let it go. Thank you for listening to uh, another episode of The Doghouse. We'll see you next time. Oh, black cream, take me to that place. Wash my sins.